Welcome to See You on the Other Side, where the world of the mysterious collides with the world of entertainment. A discussion of art, music, movies, spirituality, the weird, and self-discovery. And now, your hosts, musicians and entertainers who have their own weakness for the weird, Mike and Wendy from the band Sunspot. Remember, remember, the 5th of November. Happy Guy Fox Day, Wendy. Hey, thanks. Happy Guy Fox Day to you too, Mike. That's right. Nothing like a, <laughs> a Catholic plot to overthrow medieval English government that, that really puts me in a great mood every November 5th. <laughs> Let's party. <laughs> yes. Indeed. All right. Hope everybody had a great... We got two Halloween weekends this year because we had... You know, you could have a party the weekend before Halloween. You could have a party the weekend after Halloween because Halloween was dap smad in the middle of the week. <laughs> and you know what else? You can have a party on Halloween. So really, you can have three parties. In fact, you could party the entire week every single day. <laughs> that's that's what makes it great. And I did. Good. <laughs> Good. I... Uh, I celebrated as well. I tried to get as much as I can out of it. I got to enjoy trick-or-treating and eating my child's candy. That's always a pleasure. Excellent. Yeah, because she's only two. She's only going to eat so much candy, so mommy and daddy have to take care of the rest. <laughs> oh, what a shame. It's such a hard job yeah, being a parent. It is. It? it is. But sometimes the rewards, the only thing that makes it worthwhile is the Halloween candy you get. Everything else. Hey. <laughs> I'm glad that makes it work. Everything else is a waste of time. Ah, oh, just kidding. All right. Hey, today we're talking about dreams. Did you have any good dreams over the weekend? Actually, I've been having a lot of bad dreams. Oh, no. Scary. Uh, well, I've been watching lots of Halloween and horror, you know, themed. I've been watching the Hill House mm. series on Netflix, and I'm still finishing up Game of Thrones, all these very dark, dark things. So I haven't been having great dreams, but they're definitely... Something. <laughs> yeah. How about you? I've been having weird dreams. Just nothing. How so? Nothing, just th- stuff where weird things happen. Or I'm in a different life. You know, I, I'll just have stuff where I'm not in a band or we don't do the podcast or I don't live in a world of, of weird occultness. Or, if, you know, if I'm like, I'm like a guy that works in an oh, office or I'm in the military. So you're boring is what you're saying. Yeah, I'm a total, I'm a total bore. <laughs> total snoozer <laughs> of a life. But that's interesting. So it's like an alternative, Mike. That's exactly right. And that's some of the things we'll be talking about today are the, the parallel realities that we could be living in uh, and we visit them in our dreams. You know, the one thing that I've been dreaming about the most, though, uh, and I tell you, these are more about daydreams and more wish fulfillment, and that is for more reviews on iTunes and Stitcher. Do you ever dream about that, Wendy? Oh, I do, actually, all the time. Right. And didn't our dreams come true this week with a new review on Stitcher? They did. Yes. Sometimes we forget about the other platforms for listening to podcasts because iTunes is the one that gets the most, it's the most popular platform. Right. But there are so many other ones. In fact, I myself don't even listen to podcasts through the Apple podcast player. So many people actually do listen on Stitcher radio and we've got a Mm. lovely review on there. So thank you, C.E. Martin. And the review says, a show so good, it's spooky. Nobody does it better than Sunspot, the supernatural musicians from Wisconsin who, each week, inform and entertain with a new Fortean podcast and a new song. Mm. This polished, humorous, and informational podcast has great sound quality, highly likable hosts. That's right. And now, over 200 past episodes on a wide variety of supernatural subjects. For the skeptic and the believer alike... It's absolutely worth the hour you'll spend each week on the other side. Wow, that was a stellar review. Yes, it Five was. stars. Amazing. Thank you so, so much for that review. We appreciate it. It helps other people find our podcast, and then they know that it's something we actually spend time on. It's not just a heap of rubbish. That's right. And any five-star review we will read on the air. Yeah. <laughs> on the air. So, yes, you can leave reviews in any podcast player, whatever the platform is. We're happy to see those reviews, and we thank you for taking the time to do that. It really does mean a lot to us. It makes our dreams come true. Oh. You know, speaking of dreaming, I've always tended to think of dreaming as just random neurons firing off in the middle of the night. So the scientific perspective, the, the skeptical, just yeah. the, you know... Well, I had to think of it like that because I had a lot of nightmares. Uh, And so I don't want to think about like that this is, you know, that I have to live in a land of nightmares and that, you know, I'm I'm contacting some other realm where nightmares happen all the time. I don't want to think about that. 
Yeah, there's a deeper meaning to it, Mike. Yeah, I don't want a deeper meaning to it. I just want it to be random neurons, something just, you know, uh, an undigested bit of beef or a blot of mustard. Like, I'd prefer that uh, to having it be. Okay, Charles. Right. But Robert Moss, uh, our guest this week, um, I mean, he believes it's a gateway to another dimension. Ooh, okay. That's exciting. He's an interesting character. He's an Australian, but he was a journalist for a long time. In he he worked at the Economist in London. Wow. He drafted a speech for Margaret Thatcher in January 1976 that talked about the Soviet military buildup, and that's the speech that they labeled her the Iron Lady. That's amazing. Yeah. So I mean, so Robert Moss worked in politics. He worked as a journalist for a long time. Did work for the Daily Telegraph, New York Times Magazine. He was a commentator for the BBC World Service for a while. He wrote a book, like a Cold War thriller called The Spike, that became a New York Times bestseller. And so he wrote all these Cold War books and stuff. But then eventually, something happened to him in his dreams where he decided to go down a different path. Dun, dun, dun. Yes. And so today he calls himself a dream teacher. He's got a system called Active Dreaming that combines dream journaling, Jungian psychology, and um, shamanism, like traditional shamanism. So yeah, he's a very interesting system has, and he's got a new book called Mysterious Realities, Tales from the Imaginal Realm. And he told us all about his synchronicities, uh, what caused him to leave the life of a novelist, uh, to become like this dream shaman that helps people with their struggles in the waking life. Also, he tells us how you can talk to the dead through your dreams. So... We should oh, probably... Man. I can't yeah. wait to hear this. Okay. Let's see what Robert has to say. We're here with Robert Moss, the author of a new book called Mysterious Realities, A Dream Traveler's Tales from the Imaginal Realm. Now, Robert, what is the imaginal realm? Well, it's a realm between time and eternity, Mike. It's a realm where there are real schools and palaces and temples and places of healing and initiation and pleasure parks. And it's a phrase I borrowed from medieval Sufi philosophers who spent a lot of time there. I spent a lot of time there myself. So it's a way of saying there are real worlds of true imagination where human minds connect with intelligences from beyond our present plane. The imaginal realm includes rather enlightened areas of the deceased where they are available and they're doing, doing interesting things and sometimes beaming interesting stories to humans. So that is loosely what the imaginal realm is all about. It's a realm you can learn to travel to, the place that mystics and shamans and poets and creators have all always wanted to go to and where they've done a lot of their creative work. And so how did you find your way there in the first place? Like, how did you jump into the imaginal realm? I mean, most of us don't even remember our dreams most of the time. Well, I had a head start. I mean, I'm the boy who died and came back. Let me just explain. I was born in Melbourne, Australia. And when I was three years old, my father, an army officer, was transferred to Tasmania, the island off the southern coast of Australia. It was a very bitter winter. I got pneumonia and I died. And the doctors pronounced me clinically dead. When I came back, they said with some surprise to my parents, oh, your boy died and he came back, didn't he? So I don't remember much from what happened when I was out of my body at age three. But when it happened again at age nine, and I was pronounced clinically dead again in a Melbourne hospital this time, I remember vividly what happened, Mike. I was, sounds like a classical NDE to begin with. I'm up under the ceiling in the operating room. I don't like the blood and the scalpels and the gossip of the healthcare staff. So I get outside the hospital, want to do what a red-blooded kid, nine years old, would like to do. I go down the beach. I go to a theme park, a fun park there in Melbourne along the beach called Luna Park. At the gate is a big round moon face. And here I am leaving my body in the operating room. I go through the open mouth of the moon face of Luna Park and I'm drawn into a world that is not part of the theme park. I'm drawn into another world full of interesting, beautiful, elongated beings who welcome me and raise me as their own. And I seem to spend a whole lifetime among them. And then that lifetime is used up and I leave that body and I'm expecting to go to another star system or something like that. And bang, I'm back in the body of a scared nine-year-old kid in a Melbourne hospital. I don't quite know what's going on. So the gift of that experience, which is very hard to talk about, adults couldn't hear me, didn't understand, or it must be the medication he's hallucinating, was 
a familiarity with worlds beyond the physical from very early in my life. I mean, I knew there are real worlds beyond the physical. I knew this through firsthand experience. The first person who could validate my own experiences was an Aboriginal kid from the indigenous tradition who was very matter of fact, oh yeah, we do that. We die. We, we sort of die. We get sick. We live with the spirits. We come back. Sometimes we're the same. Sometimes we're not. So although it was hard to talk about this or integrate it as a kid, I've known since early childhood, as I say, that there are worlds, you can call them dream worlds beyond the physical, you can call them the imaginal realm, some of them are like that. We can go there, and I learned as I went along, you don't need, need the extremity of a near-death experience to go there. Your dreams will be your passport if you remember your dreams and begin to understand what dreaming is all about. So all of my life since early boyhood, I've been a dreamer. The dream world, in a sense, is my home reality. Since early childhood, I've known we can see across space and time in dreams. I know we can have an authentic, for real conversation with the dead who are alive somewhere else. I've known we can travel to their realm and receive visitations for them. And I've known that the great creative discoveries are often made on a plane of reality beyond the ordinary, and we can learn to go there consciously and do really remarkable things. So this is the beginning of my you know, knowledge of these things. And the new book, Mysterious Realities, one of many I've written about dreaming and imagination and shamanism and so on, is the most radical so far because these are travelers' tales of what it's like to step in and out of parallel worlds, to go to places where the dead are alive, and to find it all happening around you through synchronicity, which is that time when the universe gets personal and things pop up around you in the way of dreams in everyday life. So that's the start of the story that, from which I'm writing. That sounds like an incredible experience. I just want to go back to that experience when you were nine years old for just a second. And when you think of it, the, the consciousness of a, you know, a nine-year-old kid in the hospital, terrified, when you, you know, you talk about the classic near-death experience, but when you met these other beings who, you know, and it sounds like you lived a, a, a lifetime in, in a moment kind of thing. And that seems to happen in dreams sometimes where, where time can be completely compressed and different and we can spend five minutes a dream, but it's really in 30 seconds in the regular physical world, the material world that we're used to. And so when you came out there and you met those creatures, was it like, what the heck is going on here? Did you feel like you were freaking out or were you terrified of them? Ab ab absolutely not. I found myself welcomed uh, as by a family of beings who are humanoid, but not exactly human. If I'd been living with my mother's Irish family, they might have said they're the she, the S-I-D-H-E, the old Irish term for the fairies, not many little garden fairies, but beings beyond our realm who live in a different way. They might have said that. Their names from an Aboriginal tradition too. No, I was not terrified of them. I was terrified of coming back to the body of a nine-year-old and having to adjust and adapt to the conditions of a kid trying to grow up in a very conservative era and a very conservative family in Australia where people were sympathetic to my health condition but could not understand what the heck I was talking about. So I was at home in another world and I seemed to live in maybe nine minutes of TikTok ordinary time a 90-year life somewhere else in which I became a father, a grandfather, an elder, some kind of shaman, and I came back remembering it. And I remember it to, it to the present day. So as I say, I knew from that time that there are real worlds beyond the physical, and I've always known that, and that's been part of my understanding of reality. So my lifetime quest has been to live a fulfilling, juicy, fully embodied life in this world while carrying the knowledge that there are other worlds. And as a teacher, I'm a dream teacher. You try and teach people how to dream the old-fashioned way, how to travel to other places, how to understand that dreams aren't just the gifts of the personal subconscious, but might be an experience of traveling to other worlds. I mean, I tried to teach people how to access these realities in ways that are much safer than the extremity of a near-death experience. How do you tell the difference then? between like a regular dream that might be just your subconscious bothering you like the you know the dream we all have when we like we go back to high school or whatever and show up and we're not wearing pants or something like that like how how do you tell that it's just you know hopefully there is no parallel world where i showed up to high school not wearing pants well maybe there is mike but let's let's pause for a minute i wouldn't dismiss that dream i mean you say it's a typical dream yes it is a typical dream you have typical dreams of being back in school being naked in public but each dream is 
as individual as well as generic. I mean, those themes to people listening sound familiar. I've had a dream like that. But wait a minute. Let's apply it to life. You're back in school. Well, maybe you want to ask yourself, in what sense in life today are you going to the school of life, having to face new tests and new lessons? You're naked in public. You're not wearing any pants. Where in your life is it okay or not okay to expose yourself to let it all hang out? So I don't dismiss any dream. I don't say this is a routine dream. I don't brush any dream into a trash can of understanding, I say they're all telling us something, that our dreams are not the same. We dream in different ways. We have big dreams. We have little dreams. But I would say this, anything that comes to you in dreams is likely to contain something beyond what you already know. Look for that. Harvest the message. Apply it. I've given you examples of how you could take the two, the two dreams or the two dream elements you're inclined to dismiss as you know just normal, regular, tedious dreams. And I've pointed out that they may contain uh, a, a clue. I mean, in one of my stories in Mysterious Realities, based upon my conversation with a very elegant, very proper physician from England at one of my trainings, it was inspired by her coming to the breakfast table one morning and using very bad words. She's saying things like, oh, Robert, oh, F, why am I having the same effing dream again and again? Why do I keep dreaming I haven't done my medical exams? I've got to do my medical exams again when I did them 30 effing years ago. She's like that at the table, very not her usual, typical, genteel style. And I say to her, I interrupt her blather. And I say, well, my dear, if it's my dream, I might picture that there is a dream production company behind the curtains of ordinary understanding that is making movies for me that screen in my dreams to teach me something. And maybe that movie production crew are getting very bored with me because I won't get the message. They're making the same effing dream again and again about needing to take medical exams again because you're facing a new test in life maybe, but you won't get the message, you won't apply it. So I wrote a story in which I actually present the rather hilarious picture of a dream production company operating for the benefit of just one dreamer in a very personal way, getting very bored with having to make the same ethic dream because the dreamer will not get the message. And the message is on the theme that you just raised. You have to do your exams again. In a sense, you're back in school. And the lesson for your life might be you're in the school of life. It's time to get ready to take a new test. She cracked up as we had this conversation, by the way. She got the message. She thought about the sense in which she was facing new exams, new tests in life. And that really brought her through a difficult passage in, in her current reality. Well, one thing that we get when we talk to a lot of the people who are guests on the show or we talk to people at conventions and stuff is that when we speak about dreams, a lot of people are getting nightmares all the time. And that's something that happened to me as a kid. I was a, you know, three or four nightmares a week kind of sleeper. And so as a dream teacher, I'm sure you've had to deal with people coming to you and saying, uh, I have like horrible nightmares, sometimes the same nightmare, but I'm afraid to go to sleep because I'm going to have a nightmare. And when you're talking about, you know, traveling and dreams and there's wonderful places you can go to and families you can meet and incredible worlds you can visit, what happens to people that they're, they're stuck in a nightmare? Well, let's, let's deal with that very expeditiously, the way that I deal with the people who have this problem. Let, let me note, a nightmare in my vocabulary is not just a scary dream, it's an interrupted dream. You are so scared you want to get out of it, you get out of it, you slam the door, you say, please, no more dreams sometimes, and maybe that will interrupt your dream life for a long time when you say that. Uh, a nightmare is typically a dream that is not only scary, but when you're so scared of that you want to get out of it. That's a poor strategy, because whatever is after you or on you in a scary dream like a nightmare is an issue that could play out in waking life if you don't deal with it where it is confronting you. So the antidote to nightmares is to learn to go back inside the dream, back to the place of fear and brave up and confront whatever the issue is on its own ground. I teach this. The technique is called dream reentry. You You find the time, the moment, the resources, the allies perhaps to go and face that scary situation on its own ground and go on with it to a place of healing and resolution. That may not be straightforward. It might be that you, you, you left your nightmares as a kid and they were unresolved, but you can even go back across time, Mike. You can do that. You can go back into that childhood nightmare and resolve something. Let me give you an example. I was teaching in France. I teach all over the world. And a woman in my workshop is really ticked off because she's done shamanic practice, she's done yoga, she's done meditation, she's done tai chi, all sorts of stuff. But 
she doesn't remember her dreams. And we're all talking about dreams at the breakfast table in a residential retreat. He says, Robert, I can't stand it. I don't remember my dreams. I'm not sure I ever can. And I said, I don't believe you. She said, what? I said, tell me the last dream you remember from your life. Now, this might be getting close to your experience as a kid, Mike. She says, yes, I remember. 30 years ago, I was nine years old. So she's now 39. She's remembering a dream from 30 years earlier. I said, tell me the dream said, well, you know, there's a hand that reaches from behind a curtain and it's offering me chocolate. And I love chocolate, but I know I'm not supposed to take candy from strangers, so I'm really scared. I wake up screaming, calling Maman Papa, she's French, and they come and say, it's just a dream, go back to sleep. So she's got no support from the adults with the stupidity of typical grown-ups. They don't understand that the kids' dreams are real. So she's a good Catholic girl. She prays. She asks Mary and Jesus and all the saints and angels to to protect her, no more dreams, and she succeeds. No more dreams for 30 years. So I say to her, I would love you to go back inside the dream now, to travel across time, back into that dream, open the curtain, see who's giving you the candy. And she's scared. She's done all this shamanic work, but she's scared. This is a radical idea for her. She says, will you come with me? I say, well, okay, I'll come. We'll form a small group. We'll travel together. I'm telling you now that we can travel together into dreaming, Mike. This is a very big thing to understand. And we've got drumming in the workshop. So she agrees to go back inside her dream. And this is what happened. She opens the curtain. She sees a being that is radiant with light, like an angelic being. And if she's awed by it, then the features resolve. And it's, it's a man that she loved. It was her father's best friend. He owned a toy shop. He let her play in the toy shop. Nothing wrong going on there. He's like a second father, more affectionate than her actual father. She says, oh, it's you. It's you. It was you. Why didn't you show yourself? And he said, oh, Sherry, you forgot. I was killed in that terrible accident. And I was mutilated. And I couldn't fix my appearance. I didn't want to scare you, but I wanted to give you something sweet. So she's learning that what seemed like a terrifying dream was actually an appearance, an attempted appearance, an attempted intervention with something sweet by a family friend. And that all sounds good. And what will follow an adventure like that? Well, the next morning at the breakfast table, she's the first one at the table. She can't wait for us to come down. She has eight dreams. The woman hasn't remembered a dream for 30 years. She has eight dreams. They were running through her mind all night long, like a high-speed train, rum, rum, rum. She tells us eight dreams because she's opened the dream spigots again. The dreams are coming through because she went back to a fearful dream from the past. She resolved something, and now life is different. So, you know, whatever it is, if you're scared of something in your dreams, I'll say this to you. You don't want to run away. You want to learn to face it on its own ground and see what needs to be done. And that can change everything. So there's antidote. There's an Rx for nightmares. And I'll say something larger about dreaming in general. Dreams are not on your case. They're on your side. Anything that presents it to yourself, presents it to you, that is authentic material coming from your own deep imagination or your own deep, deep, deep dream mind comes in a timely and helpful way and you can actually deal with it. It's coming to you because you need to face it and deal with it, even if it's scary. And any image that comes to you in this spontaneous way is a potential source of healing and wholeness if you're willing to work with it and play with it. I feel that one of the hardest parts about confronting your nightmare and going in, and I love that idea that dreams are not in your case, they're on your side. I think that's a, that's a wonderful sentiment. And so when you're in the dream, like, do you have any tips on how people can figure out that they're dreaming? Because half the time you're in a nightmare, uh, it's, it's the finding the consciousness to understand that, hey, I guess zombies aren't real uh, in, the, in the physical world. They're, they're not, they shouldn't be real here, so I'm dreaming. Now I have a chance to you know, take them on and go and see head on what's wrong with this. Any tips on how to figure out that when you're in a dream state? Well, the key thing is to recognize that in any stage of reality or consciousness, you have choice. You can exercise free will. It's not so much saying to yourself, I'm dreaming, I'm dreaming, it's not real, etc., as recognizing that you have the power of choosing the actions that you're going to take, of choosing to stand up to something or run away from it, of choosing to see whether you can re-script the story if you don't like it. It's not so much I'm dreaming, I'm dreaming, therefore I'm master of the universe, as recognizing whatever state of reality you're in, you can choose. You can choose your attitude, you can choose your moves, you're not a victim, you're not passive, you're not supine in the face of whatever life is giving you. I mean, that is the key thing, to recognize you have power of choice. 
you know, I, I teach lucid dreaming, but I teach it rather differently from some of my friends who give you ways of look at your hand, see if you can stick your finger through your hand, see if you can read a book or not. Some of those techniques work sometimes, some of them don't work. I say if you want to be a lucid dreamer and exercise the degree of navigational control that that will give you, start out lucid and stay lucid. In other words, don't worry so much about waking up to the fact that you're dreaming inside a dream as embarking on a conscious dream adventure. How would you do that? Well, one of the ways you do it is you spend more time in the twilight zone between sleep and awake. I mean, we all know it before you're asleep. Sometimes you're in that drifty state in the middle of the night. You're often in a drifty state. You might wake up, you might go to the bathroom, you come back, you're drifting. You might be cussing because you're not asleep instead of in this drifty state. In that drifty state, wonderful things become accessible. Images rise and fall. You can choose a certain scene and enter it and embark on a lucid dream adventure. I also teach people, and I mentioned this briefly, that a royal road to lucid dreaming and resolving these situations you're talking about is what I call dream reentry. You have a dream, you have an image that has come to you, you can learn to make that the portal or the doorway for a conscious journey. You're wide awake and conscious, you're going to journey back into that space, go on with the story, you might want to do that because there's romance and adventure, you might need to do it because there's fear to be overcome and something to be resolved, you might want to do that because there's someone in your dream space, your departed grandmother, a spiritual guide, a teacher, a bear that you need to brave up to who might be your medicine you might want to go back into a dream to connect with a figure who has appeared in the dream have a proper conversation and make a proper connection so these are techniques which are actually fairly simple if you're willing to give it a go to work with the material that all of us have because this is something we have in common as humans we all dream even if even the hard head that says i don't dream is just saying i don't remember we have the material we have the invitation we have the the doorways to learn to become conscious, or I like to say active dreamers who embark, who can embark lucidly, consciously, with intention on adventures in the multidimensional universe. In the course of that, we can learn firsthand more about what reality actually is, more about what happens to consciousness after death. Your show is called See You on the Other Side. I'm very familiar, Mike, with what happens on the other side. I'm the boy who died and came back. I've been talking to the dead all my life, and I've observed many transitional situations in the afterlife. You can learn about that firsthand, not taking this hand-me-down material from somebody else, but you can learn for yourself what it means to have a life beyond this life. And when you wake up to that through firsthand experience, everything will change. You'll find you have courage and clarity for life that you lack as long as you do not know firsthand that there's life beyond this life. So that's a very important aspect of this active dreaming. So you were talking about right there, like in dream reentry and starting to communicate with the other side in your dreams and um, in that world, in the, uh, in the imaginal realm. And you kind of mentioned that earlier before that one of the first things we need to start doing if we're going to remember our dreams and start getting into them is keeping a dream journal. And that's a way to remember things. And then, like you said, like start facing and, and going into uh, your dreams once you, you know, can get down as much uh, as you can to remember about them. What are a couple of tips for people who want to start getting into, you know, your active dreaming, who want to start exploring the world of lucid dreaming and things like that? Well, this is low technology, but you just mentioned you just mentioned the essential technology. The essential technology is to keep a journal. If you're not keeping a journal, you're missing out on so many things. I can't even explain to you what a journal would be in your life till you've kept one for a few years. Because a journal is not only a place where you record your dreams, you're also going to record your experiences of synchronicity. My approach is very much about regarding waking life as a dream field also and looking at symbols and signs and meaningful coincidences that pop up in the world around you. So your journal is going to contain many things. It's all going to be also going to be a place where you find you're having a dialogue with yourself or your soul. Your dream journal over time is going to be your personal encyclopedia of symbols. You notice how certain scenes and situations evolve. Keep a journal over time. You're also going to discover something that is fascinating to me and at the center of my current work and the center of my book, Mysterious Realities, which is you'll discover 
from dreams in which you're in the same situation again and again, but it's evolving, time is passing, life is going on, you'll discover that you have first-hand evidence, Mike, that you're leading a parallel life, several parallel lives, many parallel lives somewhere else. That becomes a very interesting discovery. You'll also discover that you're you're a time traveler, that you see ahead of yourself in dreams, that you scout out the possible future, you see challenges and opportunities that lie ahead, and once you confirm for yourself by journaling these things, writing them down, and then checking how a dream relates to an event that happens later on. Once you wake up to the fact that you dream the future before an event happens, then you're really ready to do the cool thing, which is to take that kind of information next time you dream, a dream of the possible future, and apply it so that you start learning to avoid an unwanted event that is looming in the future and navigate towards a good one. But that, those are just some of the things that come from keeping a journal. If you have any interest in, in creation and being a writer or an artist or whatever, the, the dream journal is going to be your sketchbook, your starter dough for your writing and your stories, etc. So a journal is absolutely essential. And if you think you don't have a relationship with dreams at the moment, you might find that you open a relationship by simply writing something down every morning, even if it's not a dream, the first thoughts or feelings that are streaming through your mind, that bit of a song that's in your mind when you wake up and then you go out into the world and you notice the first unusual unexpected things that pop up in the world around you you write those down too and you play with those elements from waking life as if they're elements from a dream and you're already becoming a dreamer by the art of keeping a journal one of the things you mentioned in there is the idea of you know many worlds and the parallel universes and and that we're living parallel lives in another place how do you think that we can maybe use our dreams to understand those, you know, those parallel worlds and parallel lives better? And how do you think we can use those parallel lives in the life we have here to make that, you know, to make better choices? Well, this is one of the most fascinating subjects, and I say it's at the center of my current work, and it's the center of many of the stories from this traveler's road in my book, Mysterious Realities. You know, science tells us that we live in many worlds. This is a hypothesis that is now subscribed to by many physicists, the many worlds theory, which says that the universe is constantly splitting. We live amongst uncountable parallel universes where you and I, for example, are leading lives similar to the present one or distant from it in a version of the planet Earth. We're not talking now about connections with past lives or future lives. We're talking about parallel realities. Many physicists think that this is probable. I I know from my dreams that it is indeed probable that right now you and I are leading continuous lives on parallel event tracks, not the present life, but something similar to it or more distant from it. Well, what can, how can we learn about this firsthand as human experience? What can we harvest from it? Well, you keep your journal and you will notice over time, if you are recording your dreams over time, that you are finding yourself again and again and again, possibly in scenes from a life that is moving along in which you're with a different partner or doing a different job or living in a different place, or maybe it's more distant from you than that, and it's moving along. Jung, the, Carl Gustav Jung, the great psychologist and dream shaman, came to believe towards the end of his life that we are leading continuous lives in other realities, and our dreams may be glimpses or memories of what is going on in those lives. There's a story in Mysterious Realities, my book, about Jung and his current afterlife, by the way. It's worth taking a look. So if this is possible, and I know it's possible because I've monitored these things through my own journals and through other people's experiences over many, many years, what the heck good is it to know that you, in a parallel life, you're doing something else? Well, maybe you can bring some gifts and lessons from a parallel self who's doing something better than you are doing right now or is ahead of you in some ways and apply it in your current life. Maybe you can even, if you become an active dreamer and learn to journey consciously into dreaming, maybe you even sit down with a parallel self and make a deal, make a bargain by which you're going to exchange some gifts with each other that can support both of your lives. I have done that. I've seen other people do it in the most remarkable ways, and I've seen incredible gifts of healing come from it. Sometimes the gift of tracking a parallel life is simply to erase regret. You feel sad because of a certain life choice. You left that person or you stayed with that person. You've always wondered what it would be like if you made a different choice. Well, sometimes by tracking the adventures of your parallel self into the possible future, you can erase and move beyond regret because on the one hand, 
you're living that life as well. And on the other hand, you might notice in that parallel life, there are things missing that you enjoy in your present life. So you don't need to go on weeping over what you've lost by making the choice that you did. There's so much to be gained from this. And in the course of it all, you are becoming a scientist of consciousness. You're learning firsthand about what the deeper reality looks like. You're moving beyond theory into the practice of becoming a citizen of the multidimensional world. Now, speaking as a citizen of the multidimensional world, you know, whenever I hear about somebody exploring the dreams, I think of the term psychonaut. And it looks like you have a, a word particularly about the same kind of thing called, like, is it a chiromancer? Am I saying it correctly? Oh, yes. Well, but this is the dream of everyday life. Let me stress, my friend, and what my previous book was called Sidewalk Oracles, and the, side, the, the subtitle was Playing with Signs, Symbols, and Synchronicity in Everyday Life. That's where I floated the word chiromancer. I wanted a new word for synchronicity. Mr. Jung, who I admire greatly, Jung made up the word synchronicity as a classical scholar. He knew languages because he was fed up with people eternally struggling to explain the phenomenon of coincidence. They didn't know how to talk about it. We notice this all the time. People say it wasn't a coincidence, meaning it was, was meaningful, they can't talk about it properly. So he made up the word synchronicity which sounds scientific, but just means things happening at the same time, which isn't all that's going on in the phenomenon. So I was racking my brains looking for a new word to describe the phenomenon that we encounter when mind meets matter. Something is on your mind, something pops up in the world around it that resembles it. You feel the universe is getting personal. You feel the time is running differently. You feel you're in a waking dream. We know it in our shivers. We feel that there's a hidden hand. We feel there's something giving us a wink or pushing us back. We all know what it means to be in that special moment of synchronicity or meaningful coincidence. Well, I couldn't really come up with a satisfactory new new word for synchronicity itself, but I made up a word that describes the person who is poised and ready to recognize the special moments of synchronicity when time is operating differently, when the universe seems to get personal. The word is chiromancer. A chiromancer is someone who is poised to recognize the kairos moment. In Greek mythology, there's an old god of linear time, boring TikTok time called Kronos, and there's a very cool young god of special moments, and his name is Kairos or Kairos, and he's naked and beautiful except for a forelock falling over his forehead. That's where we get the phrase, catch time by the forelock. He embodies the idea that there are special moments in life. You want to grab them when they show up. They're different. Time works differently. So Kairos is invoking the name of the god of special moments, and the Mansa Mansi bit is about divination. So Kairomancy is literally divination by special moments, special moments of synchronicity when time is operating differently. And the chiromancer, it sounds romantic and magical, doesn't it? The chiromancer is someone who is poised and available to recognize these special moments of dreamlike revelation in life. When you have an opportunity, you want to be ready to grab it, seize it, and recognize that you know, new possibilities are opening to you. And that is part of my way of dreaming. And that's part of what some of the most extraordinary stories and mysterious realities are all about. So when I talk about, I'm not just talking about what happens during sleep. I'm not just talking about shamanic journey or lucid dreaming. I'm talking about becoming a lucid dreamer on the roads of everyday life and recognizing that the world around you is alive and conscious and is giving you messages and patterns of, of, of events that you want to learn to recognize and uh, act upon. Well, you know, I, I love that message. And I mean, like you said before, the things that it starts with are like starting with a, a, a journal and a, and a dream journal is the way that you start out kind of parsing the symbolism of your dreams. And just by but journaling what happens to you is the way you can start parsing out the, the symbolism of, of your everyday life and then finding how things connect together, uh, like synchronicity, like uh, chiromancy, where you're trying to see how things can relate to each other, how events that happen to you and people you meet and random things you hear uh, can point you in, in the right direction and, and starting to you know piece those things together. I'd be interested in uh, you know, personal experiences that you've had in chiromancy and synchronicity that you've, you know, launched yourself forward with by being able to find that symbolism in, in the everyday world around you. Well, are you ready for a wild story, Mike? You Always. You like wild stories. Always. You like hear a wild story? Yes. This story, is in the, this story is part of the opening story in my new book, Mysterious Realities, which is called A Storytelling of Crows. 
and take a little bit of time, but not more than a few minutes. So let me tell it to you. So I'm leading a writing retreat at a place near Seattle where I like to teach. And during my writing retreat, I start writing some stories myself. And the frame story, in other words, the story within which I'm writing the other stories, is a bit like Scheherazade, the Arabian Nights. Scheherazade has to come up with a new story every night or else she'll be killed. So in my story, a writer has a deal with death, which is that he'll have to produce a story that entertains death every day. That's the frame story. And within that, for some reason, which I do not comprehend at the time, I start writing a story about a Roman centurion after the death of Christ, whose girlfriend is a Phoenician witch and who's assigned to investigate what happened with Jesus. That's all I need to say by way of background, but it's important to have the background. So now I'm getting on a plane on my way back home from Seattle Airport. And as usual, I'm alert to chance encounters, what will come up on the plane. And along the aisle comes an amazingly tall woman in high-heeled black boots, wearing all black leather over a bustier with a top hat on her head. And she sits next to me and she parks a little guy in the window seat next to her. And we strike up a conversation. It becomes very clear early in the conversation that her business is she is a dominatrix. Now, S&M is not my scene, so the conversation becomes a bit sporadic. But then she suddenly turns to me and she says, do you think the dead talk to us in our dream? She knows nothing about me. I say, absolutely. She says, oh, good. She says, my former husband was shot in the face in a diner in Seattle last year. He's a well-known pop musician. And he came to me last week and he stood over my bed in a dream and he said, I've got a really cool job, he said. I'm doing music and special effects for dreams that are being produced for people to dream. What do you think of that? I said, it's a great story. So we go on. The conversation is really strange. It's really interesting. And by the way, on her hands, she's wearing gloves with cut-out fingers and big death's heads on the back of the glove. So you begin to get the picture. Remember, I just come from a scene where I'm creating a story of a writer who has a close-up encounter with death and is talking to his death. And I've got this death's head dominatrix next to me on the plane. So things go along and she says suddenly, I'd love to read a story from the point of view of Jezebel. And I'm scratching my head trying to remember my Bible, which is long forgotten. And I remember, oh, Jezebel is Phoenician. But before I remember that, she says, those Phoenician witches were so good with dreams. It's as if her dead husband or someone is whispering in his ear. This guy started writing a story about a character whose girlfriend is a Phoenician witch who's good with dreams. And I'll just cut to the chase. So later on, there are pauses in this conversation because it is so something that even I, who am normally not short for words, is occasionally deprived of speech. Eventually, she says, I love crows and ravens. Of course you do, I say to her. She says, there's a collective noun for a group of crows or ravens. Do you know what it is? I feel proud of myself. I say, well, it's a murder of crows and it's an unkindness of ravens. And she sniffs and says, oh, everybody knows that. And I look at her. She says, there's another name, another collective noun for a group of crows or ravens. Do you want me to tell you? Oh, yes, please. It's a storytelling of crows, a storytelling of ravens. Do you know why? Uh, you're going to tell me, I say. Yes, I am. I saw this once. I saw a convention of crows, a storytelling of crows. There's a crow who's trying to tell a story to the others, and he was clearly an, an inadequate storyteller because the end of his squalling, they pecked him to death. What do you think of that? Now, remember my theme. I've floated the idea of a book, a story within which a writer has a deal with death, and he has to come up with a good story every day. All of this is unfolding right after that writing workshop where I floated that theme, complete the Phoenician witch, and this is all playing out in my physical reality on the plane on the way back from Seattle. That story is part of a story in my book. So sometimes the workings of synchronicity can be incredibly tailored, incredibly custom-made. They seem to suit in every detail exactly where you are. And we can say in a general way, okay, thought and feelings are things they would draw or repel from you whatever you're carrying according to what you're carrying but it gets more interesting than that if you are really immersed in this and really avail available to it the universe can speak to you in the most specific and detailed ways so that's an example which is in my new book mysterious realities of how specific how customized the play of synchronicity can be well, that's a great story, and that woman is fascinating, and how ridiculous. Like, you get in there, and you must be thinking to yourself, all right, number one, I can't believe this is happening, but 
when you're, you know, you have those synchronicities happening to you. I always think that that means you're going in the right direction, or that means you're going in the path that, you know, of most success or the path you should be going into. You know, when you see all those synchronicities happening and everything adding up to be that you're in the right place at the right time and, and stuff, what do you think that that means? Well, it means you're engaged with the conscious universe. I mean, physics tells us there's no distinction between mind and matter anywhere in the universe. It's all alive. It's all in, it's all conscious. In my native Australia, the Aborigines say we live in a speaking land. Everything is speaking to us all the time if we'll only pay attention. But I would say that the run of synchronicity is not always benign. It's not always positive. It's not always saying you're in the right place at the wrong time. Sometimes it's saying very clearly you are in the wrong place. Uh, something is being pulled out from under you. Something is pushing you back. It can work both ways. And I'll say beyond that, that I think we are live, we're living in our animate universe. We're also dealing with forces beyond the veils of our senses, forces of a deeper reality that come and play with us. They poke at us. They tickle us. They give us a nod. They give us a wink. They give us a pushback. Forces of the deeper reality. So synchronicity is a place where mind meets, meets matter, but also a place where maybe intelligences and powers from beyond our ordinary perception, our ordinary understanding, come to interact with us. As I say, to to encourage us forward, to give us a nod or a wink, or sometimes to push it back. It's not all one story. There are negative runs of coincidence as well as positive ones. But whenever it happens, you know in your shivers, and we know in our shivers, we know this in our feelings more than in our mental understanding, you know in your feelings when it's a special moment of meaningful coincidence or synchronicity, and you know usually that the universe just got personal. You feel that you are not alone in the universe and that there are forces from beyond the obvious world that are at play. As I say, they might be on your side, they probably are on your side, but they might be pushing you back other than leading you forward because you need to be stopped and subjected to some degree of course correction. That goes on too. And by the way, that goes on in dreams. One of the functions of dreams in terms of everyday life is that dreams hold up a magic mirror to our everyday actions and behaviors. And sometimes that we can see ourselves with an objectivity and a humor, maybe a shocking kind of humor, which we can't manage in ordinary life. And sometimes the magic mirror that is held up to our every, everyday actions and behaviors in our dreams will lead us to say, whoa, I'm on the wrong track. Let me change my track. I've made major course correction in my life. Because my dreams have hold up, held up a mirror to me and I've been embarrassed or, or felt ridiculous in terms of what the dreams were showing me about the path I'd chosen to follow. And I've made major course correction because of dreams of that kind and synchronicity can serve the same purpose. Well, what's an example of that in your life where you were going in one direction and then you had a dream and then you realized you needed to move in another way? Like what? I mean, how what was that dream? Well, there have been many, but I'll give you one for example. I mean, I had decided to, uh, I was a best-selling thriller writer once upon a time, as a New York Times best-selling thriller writer back in the 80s, making tons of money, but not very happy with what I was doing. I left that life eventually. Anyway, but, you know, like other reasonably affluent white men, I thought I'd better put some money and more money in the bank before I followed the call of my soul. So I signed a contract to write a thriller with a Russian team, Okay. And I dreamed that I'm in a banquet hall set up with the most elaborate care. For the, the, the silverware is silver and gold. The porcelain is the finest stuff. It's set up for a thousand people. Maybe it's all in my honor. I enter this banquet hall in my dream and the maitre d' is quaking in fear. And I say, what's the matter with you? He says, Mr. Moss, Mr. Moss, you have a problem in the kitchen. I say, what's the problem? He says, the master chef doesn't like your menu. He is not going to cook any more stroganoff, a Russian dish. And he's going to leave you. He's going to leave the premises if you insist on cooking this dish. I wake up sort of shocked and also with a sense of humor because it's clear to me that the master chef represents my creative self, my creative center. My creative self is not interested in writing another thriller with a Russian theme. And therefore, although everything is set up in this glorious fashion, I'll have to order in a short order cook from the street in order to serve people. So I tore up the contract. I abandoned a whole book plan involving lots of money because my dream said to me so clearly and dramatically in the staged production, you can feel that there's a production crew behind the scenes making a dream like that. My dream told me very specifically, very dramatically, if I persisted in this plan, the money would be good. But my creative self, the master chef, would not be involved. So I tore up a contract because of that dream. Wow. 
Now, I know that uh, the listeners of this program would uh, be mad at me if I didn't get to one of the things that you brought up earlier on in your story when you were talking to the woman on the plane. When she, you know, she asked you, do you think you can speak to the dead in your dreams? And that's something we've heard from various uh, psychics that have been on the show and, and mediums and everything. And I kind of want to get your take because you answered in the affirmative that you think you can talk to the dead. I didn't think I didn't think we can. T- I didn't think we can talk to the dead. We we do talk to the dead. I talk to the dead, and anybody else can. You don't need a psychic medium to stand between you and this relationship with the dead. You want to find your own way. You don't want to take it second hand. Yes, there'll always be a role for authentic psychic mediums because many people seem to be blocked. I've talked to the dead all my life. Would you like me to talk about that? Yeah, that's something that I know that uh, our listeners really would love to hear about, and I, me too. Well, that's a story. That's the name of your show. I must confess, I didn't know anything about you, but I like the name of your show, and I assume <laughs> that this is going to be a major concern. So that's see you on the other side. So let's get with it. Let me just give you some personal stories. My father died in Australia 30 years ago, and after his death, I'm living in the United States. I've gone back to his funeral. I've come back to the States. He turns up in a dream, very agitated. He says, Call your mother and tell her to contact Rodriguez because she needs to sort out a living situation. This is my father visiting me after his death with a specific message. And I think Rodriguez is an unlikely name for someone that surface Paradise Australia, though we live in an international society, of course. But I call my mother and says, do you know someone called Rodriguez? Oh, yeah, Ron Rodriguez. Who is he? He's a real estate agent. Dad says... You should contact him. So she does. And he sorts out a living situation. She moves to a retirement home where she is very happy and very safe for the last years of her life. So this is one of many examples of my personal relationship with a beloved family member, my father, who brought through many messages through me via me because I'm the dreamer for other family members and then showed me his transitions on the other side. And that story evolved over many years until it came to a point where he said, well, sorry, Robert. I won't see you much anymore because I've made a certain decision about the next life I'm going to lead and I'm taking off. Well, let's track forward back to a couple of years ago. So dad's gone away and I know where he's gone. I won't talk about that, but I know. And he's shown me his transition stages in the afterlife. And We've been very good friends and he's been a wonderful family counselor. Then a couple of years ago, I'm in the hypnagogic zone. That's the liminal space between sleep and awake where so much is possible. I find myself up on a high rooftop and there is my father. And I'm shocked to see him, not because he's dead. We had a great relationship since he died, but because I know he's been off somewhere else. But he seems to have come back in this interesting environment, a rooftop where you can see great distances. Suddenly I'm in front of him. He points at my upper lip and he says, go to a doctor and get that checked up. Well, I had a mole on my lip. I'd cut it shaving. It hadn't healed very well. I hadn't paid any attention. But because my father said that to me in the morning, I called the dermatologist, went in as soon as I could, discovered I had a spot of skin cancer, which is easy to treat if you get the, you know, if you get the diagnosis and the surgery in good order. But because I tend to avoid doctors and nothing had showed up in an annual physical, I'd ignored the situation. So when I had the surgery and dealt with that spot of skin cancer, I, I opened a bottle of very fine single whiskey. My father was a Scot by ancestry, and I raised my glass and I said, thanks, Dad. So that's a very personal story about a friendly relationship over many years with a family counselor who happened to be my deceased father. But I've talked to many other dead people. If you read Mysterious Realities, which I hope you will, Mike, you'll find that I'm conversing with the famous dead as well. There's a conversation with Mr. Jung in his new environment on the other side. There's a, there's a chapter about William Butler Yeats, Who's been, an, who's been an advisor of mine since my childhood. I love Yeats's poetry. I can still recite maybe 100 poems of Yeats by heart. He's turned up in my dreams and my visions, the guide to what happens on the other side. I wrote a book called The Dreamer's Book of the Dead. When I was starting to embark on that book, Yeats turned up and he said, what better guide to the other side than a poet? And game was on. So I've had extraordinary adventures with him or my version of him. There's another story in Mysterious Realities about the great Romanian scholar of shamanism, mythology and religion, Mersha Eliadi, about his transitions on the other side. These are stories that come from direct experience. When it comes to the famous dead, somebody might say, well, Robert, how do you know this is not the part of you that likes Jung or likes Eliadi or likes Yeats? How do you know it's the spirit of that person or could it be a personality essence putting on a mask? 
I would have to say, well, I can't promise to certain this is the individual spirit of Mr. Jung or, or Mr. Yates, but I know the creative results. I know the depth of the information, the depth of connection that comes through. And in my mind, I go back to something that Yates said with poetic clarity. He talked about the mingling of minds. He meant by that that when we embark on a certain course of study or work, we attract people who of great intellect and great and great dedication who are drawn to us by affinity with the work and the study we have undertaken. I believe that to be true. I believe that actually great creative achievements are the result of co-creation between the current person in the current life and other intelligences that come to join them. And I've been a beneficiary of that all my life. In terms of everyday reality, everybody's access, let's get very democratic for a moment with a very small d, we all have access to direct contact with the departed. Because the departed are still around, you feel that sometimes, you get signs, feelings in your physical environment that someone who has died is still around, that could be good, bad, or mixed. They come visiting for all the reasons that we call on each other and then some, and because in dreams we travel. And one of the places we travel is to places where the dead are alive. So we need to wake up the fact that everyone is psychic, everyone has supernormal potential, everyone has access to contact with the departed. It needs to be done in the right way, and it needs to be done in the spirit of understanding that healing and forgiveness are always available across the apparent barrier of death. So when we deal with the departed, we want to keep that in mind. We want to seek contact in a timely and helpful way, and we want to remember we have the power to give and receive healing and forgiveness. And that is sometimes essential to clearing our relations with an ancestral story or departed family members. Well, would I mean, how would we go about like trying to talk to them? So when you talk about like dream reentry and stuff, would it be where you're envisioning it before you fall asleep? Or, you know, you talked about the hypnagogic versus the hypnopopic state and stuff is like trying to, you know, think about them and, and, and trying to think about communicating with them as you as you drift away? Well, you also want to read another of my books called The Dreamer's Book of the Dead, Mike. I'm going to make you a reading list because in The Dreamer's Book of the Dead, you'll find the instructions for many journeys of consciousness, the, the instructions for making the journey and for setting the intention clearly. You want timely and helpful communication. You want to learn about conditions on the other side. So we can do this as a journey. I mean, I'm a shamanic practitioner. So in the workshops, we use shamanic drumming. We do not use psychedelics, so no drugs in books but we'll use shamanic drumming to fuel and power the journey. So you can learn to embark on a conscious journey for timely and helpful communication with someone on the other side. But let's go back to the basics. Everybody has access in their dreams to this material. The problem is so many people are going through a dream drought and not paying attention to their dreams. I can assure you there are people connected to you and everyone listening on the other side of death who are interested in having a clear conversation with you. They might have information for you. They might need healing or forgiveness from you. They might need to get something in a family story straight. There are far more people on the other side of death, probably, who are trying to contact the living than the other way around. So if you open to your dreams, you'll probably find that in your dreams, you find the scene and the beginnings of an encounter with someone on the other side of death that you can then pursue if you've had contact or sense of contact, whether it's in a dream or another way with someone on the other side of death, then you can do a number of things. You can sit down and imagine that that person is accessible and write a dialogue, ask your questions, be ready to write down what comes through, put out things that they would like, a drink, a snack, a sweet they would like, a photo, a memento, or you can do the full-fledged dream reentry. But you can't do dream reentry unless you've got a dream, so let's not mix it up. If you have a dream or image, you use that as a doorway and you learn to travel through this. So, you know, uh, I've written a lot of books about these things and I've invented a school of approaching these things, which is the School of Active Dreaming, which is very powerful and offers tools for shamanic lucid dreaming, which will take you where you need to go. But you need to start with the basic practice of catching and recording your dreams and paying attention to synchronicity. And that is open to everyone any day of the week. Well, that's perfect. Well, and if you guys want to learn more about active dreaming, if you want to have a link to where you can pick up your copy of Mysterious Realities, just make sure you go check the show notes. We'll have links to all of Robert Moss's work and his website, mossdreams.com, and a little more background about him, too. So I just want to thank you for your time today. Uh, Robert, really appreciate it, and I wish you really good luck with this Mysterious Realities book. I'm only a, a few chapters in, but uh, what I've got so far, I've really enjoyed. Thank you, Mike. 
So make sure you check out the show notes at othersidepodcast.com slash 221 to get a link to uh, you can pick up your copy of Mysterious Realities, Tales from the Imaginal Realm. And you know, Wendy, one thing I thought was interesting about Robert's whole assertion that we can speak to the dead through our dreams is that that happened to one of my relatives. Ooh, do tell. Okay. Uh, so my uncle Dennis, he's really my cousin through marriage, but we call him my uncle because he's 35 years older than I am. Uh, maybe not 35, maybe like 25. I don't want to make him sound like he's ancient. But when Alice and I first started coming out to the family that we were weirdos, he was like, oh, I believe in ghosts. I'm like, all right. Sweet. And he said that the night before his father passed away, his father appeared to him in a dream where he was uh, like in heaven standing like not necessarily on a cloud but like in a white room and my uncle said that his brother was there with him and they were both talking they were saying goodbye to their father in the dream world oh. and the next day his father passed away and oh when he was talking to his brother about their father passing and they you know they called each other and said like oh yeah dad passed uh, his brother said you know I, I had this i had a dream about him where that happened last night and you and i were together with him and, and he's like Dude, I had the same dream. Oh my gosh, Mike. So that's so cool. Yeah, so they had the same dream about their father passing and appearing to them both in a dream. They had the same thing uh, to say goodbye. And I thought that was a pretty wow. that was a pretty nice story. That was one of those, you know, and, and he came out, he's like, Yeah, somebody at least will believe me about this. <laughs> We're like, we believe you. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. It's so cool. Yeah, so that was a cool story. I think he told me that at like Christmas in like 1991, and I still think about like a good story. Great story. So make sure you guys check out that because the dream world uh, may be just a little more than the random firing of synapses in your brain. Mm-hmm. And so the song this week is a little psychedelic dream voyage. Uh, the Land of Nod is the biblical place located east to Eden where Cain was exiled after he killed his brother Abel. And so people use uh, the land of Nod as a euphemism for dreamland. Like you nod off to sleep, you're going to the land sure. of Nod. And Jonathan Swift, the author of Gulliver's Travels, he's the first one like literally that I ever heard made that joke. Robert Louis Stevenson makes it. Even Neil Gaiman uses it in one of his Sandman books. He calls, uh, really? he calls dreamland the land of Nod. And so that's what we decided to name this week's song, which is just a little dream voyage. <sighs> Here's Sunspot with The Land of Nod.
you for listening to today's episode. You can find us online at othersidepodcast.com. Until next time, see you on the other side. You know what I have sweet dreams about, Mike? What do you have sweet dreams about? What is the sweetest of dreams are about? <laughs> yes, our lovely Patreon community. Aha! <laughs> they actually are a dream. They're like a dream that has come to life. And the hangouts are fun because uh, we get to talk about paranormal stuff with our favorite people, and those are the people who know us the best. And that's our Patreons. That's true. Because they obviously spend time with the podcast, and then we get to spend time communicating. And the thing is, if yeah. you guys would like to join us for our next hangout, which will probably be the last week of the month, I'd say a week after Thanksgiving, probably. American Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. if, you're, if you're out of the country. Thanksgiving this year is the 22nd. And if you guys have any preferences for dates which would work for you, make sure to let us know through email, through the Patreon website, or just tweet us. Other Side Talk is a good way to do it, too. Yeah, and we, we've got some bonus treats coming up. Absolutely. For our Patreon members that we'll, we'll be talking about at that Hangout and in our private Facebook community. So getting pretty excited about some new things that we're working on here. Yes, absolutely. And if you would be interested in becoming part of that Patreon community, uh, you can join us up at othersidepodcast.com slash donate. That's othersidepodcast.com slash donate, where we can hang out uh, once a month and be in more communication than just the podcast once a week. We can be buds. Aww. <laughs> yes. So a special shout out goes to our Patreon member, Ned, Dr. Ned is pledging us at a level that he gets this shout out every week. And we do adore Ned. He's a wonderful person. And he brings us all kinds of interesting stories, too. He's enlightened us with some articles and things that we had not found ourselves. So thank you, Ned, for that. And thanks for being a great supporter of Sunspot and coming out to our shows and everything as well. Hell yeah. Well, and thanks to all of our awesome community members for being a part of it, for making something cool with us here at See You on the Other Side. Yes, we kiss you on this guy Fox Day. <laughs> Thanks for listening. That's so cool.